Welcome to the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. My name is Ryan Copperud, and I am here just as always with my friends and my co-hosts, Mike Geraci, Dustin Robertson. Gentlemen, good morning. How are you? So good. Awesome. Mike, how is it? Tell me. Cold. Mm. Cold. It was 20 below this morning without wind chill at my house. <laughs> it's one of those Arctic blasts, so... I'm probably not doing my Chamber of Commerce duties accurately, but it's really freaking cold right now. <laughs> but it's Monday, so it'll be fine. We'll get through it. We've got another voice in the digital room with us today. We've been invited friends and a founder and a client and a category creator and a very special guest, Adam Stepanovic, co-founder and CEO at Dash LX. Or can I say the artist formerly known as Power Lab? Can I say that? Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose you can say that. Okay. Uh, love being with you guys. Uh, really yeah, thanks for being here, Adam. How are you today? I'm doing well. Flagstaff here is not as cold, but we have a lot of snow. <laughs> not 20 below in Flagstaff today? No, no, not even close. <laughs> but I am a little, we still have it wintry and I'm off of a late night hockey game last night. It was a battle, so a little fatigue, but you know, it's the glory days. Amazing. Perfect. Amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. That's how we want you. We want you a little, you know, a little on edge. That's the best way. <laughs> no. All right. We're going to jump right in today and talk about you, Adam, and Dash LX and your team's journey to announcing your seed round just this month. Congratulations. To not bury the lead there, we'll say the seed round got announced and we want to talk about that journey and kind of your journey and our part in that journey. Just to kind of kick things off right away, Adam, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, kind of how you arrived at this idea and this team and kind of where things started from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all pretty re easy, really, and straightforward. And, you know, I was born for this. So no, it's, it's the exact <laughs> opposite. It's interesting. I, my background is data science. I grew up in Western Colorado in a little town that's now known for ice climbing, Uray, Colorado. But at that point, it didn't exist. And it was there was nothing. A little written. I lived on a, in a commune, a ranching commune. So not tech startup focused. And that, but nevertheless, a lot of skiing, a lot of biking, running, things like that, being active, a lot of playing hockey. And did a lot of things. It found that I really enjoyed behavioral economics. And in high school or so before that was coined. I can't remember when Kahneman would have coined that, but around in there and started to see that, that that's data oriented. You really need to be good at data science and do analytics. So studied that, worked with that and got various jobs, worked at Google, at Google Maps for a while. Driscoll's the Berry company. That was one of my favorite jobs. And I was working with supply chain stuff there and got a running injury. And after trying to figure out how to get this running injury solved, first one in my life, I met a physical therapist who was helping me out and he worked with a lot of pro athletes and he was like, Hey, you know, why don't you walk down this hallway and explain to me you're running? And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. I've got all this data coming from my Garmin watch, you know, and he just couldn't believe that that would help. And so I showed him, I was like, well, let's work together on this. And cause maybe you can see what happened in my history. And he looked and he was like, oh, I can absolutely see what happened here. This is your issue. And this is like, we're going to solve it this way. And then I'll watch this data feed to, to see how we're doing and the solving of it. And he started using that with other pro athletes. And he eventually, they asked Brooks Running, one of the companies that these pro athletes were running for, they said, hey, could you just do this for all of our customers? And we both said, no, we have jobs. And it was just like a you know simple program I built. And so I was explaining this to some folks at Driscoll's 
where I was working, some executives and they didn't say it was a water cooler moment. And they were like, Oh man. And I was like, Oh, it's not like I'm moonlighting guys. I, it was so weird. They're like, no, no, the opposite. You need to do this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, we're entrepreneurs. So this is why we are in business here. And this is how we, what you're telling us here is an entrepreneur. We can't, we need to force you to do this. And so they were actually our, among others, friends, they were right there as our first investors. And they had even like a joke firing party for me of like, nope, you're gone. You're out of the cradle, buddy. Um, <laughs> Fly free, and, little birdie. Um, Fly free. Yeah. And they continue. You'll thank us later. Continued, exactly. They've continued to be advisors and investors and my former bosses. And we thought, oh, this is no problem. You make an app or something that, and then people just buy it. And it turns out, when you hit the brick wall of reality and business and consumer just consumer preferences and trying to make something work, it requires a lot of good people in the universe that know what they're doing and have been there before to figure out what things like category and what exactly problem statements, writing, things like that. And so chipped away at it ever since. Yeah, I'd say more than chipped away at this point. To circle back to your very, very first statement, Adam, I have done the hot springs in Uray, Colorado and had a very good time there. So shout out to your town. So that was sort of the origin of what, again, was the artist formerly known as Power Lab. Y'all had some traction with this. I think you referred to it as a little app that we made. Tell me kind of where that traction came from. And then when did traction maybe slow, I guess. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, it didn't slow. It just didn't increase. So what we learned, it's such a catch 22 when you have a little luck and, you know, obviously you want luck, you want good things to happen, but I will say that, and I'm obviously not remorseful of Brooks coming in, coming in big right off the bat, but they got it immediately. They're an innovative company. The company all the way through just understands that, for example, consumers want to be tied to a brand in a way that is meaningful to the consumer, that they're trusted, that they can develop something that's helpful and covers a pain point. All these things, they were like, oh, we need to digitize this at scale. So they just got it immediately. And so we just followed the demand train. But little did we know that that's like one company that gets it that easily. We found other sense, but that we just hit one right off the bat. That was excellent. To be sure, we were going down this app for injury prevention and things like that. And the Brooks deal was our side project to try to fund it. Sorry for the ambulance. And so when we were building this, we were always looking at it that way that oh, Brooks will, they use the data to help understand their customers and put better footwear on their customers. But we're focused on trying to do this preventative medicine app. And little did we know that that was the demand. And during really the start of the pandemic, it came in clear that we started having more of these side projects of companies wanting to have better touch with their customers because they couldn't get any retail folks in the doors or anything like that. And so we thought, well, this, well, now this must be getting easier. We still didn't know how to talk about what we we're doing. We didn't know what to say. It just was working on its own. That's not a good path to just leave that. And so we had the benefit. I was living in Santa Cruz, California. I had some pretty high-end neighbors who were tech executives or former tech executives. One of them was Christopher Lockhead, who is a big time category design guy. And he, from friend of a friend, he was one of my neighbors. He heard what we were doing. And just like the Driscoll's folks, it's amazing how these people hear it and then they 
can't unhear it. And he didn't hear a name, label, any kind of buzzwords. He just heard what we were doing and had this, I need to talk to this person moment. And they, that other neighbor called me and brought me into his house. And he's like, listen, this is going to be the most, I think the first words out of person's mouth, this is going to be the most miserable seven years of your life. I was like, <laughs> I just met this guy and I'm in his garage. And he's like, but it's going to be really rewarding. He's like, it's a blessing and a curse to come up, find a category that is like, like you found just a gold vein in the mountains here. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> At the time, if you can think back to then, how were you talking about it, Adam? I mean, were you really saying, hey, we're taking wearables data and using it to help diagnose or pre-diagnose injury? Like, is that essentially what you guys were saying at the time? Oh man, maybe, but all I hear is feature, <laughs> feature, 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 like sure. here's an app, log in here. Why don't you look at this cool thing it does? And that just doesn't work. And so the reframing that Lockhead initially gave us was that, no, you need to find the problem that you're addressing and you need to name it and be able to frame around that and explain it very clearly. And that is a new category where if you think of like Uber in 2001, nobody knew, or I guess at this point it was Lyft because they were the first one that people don't realize that like, rideshare wasn't a thing. It was like, that's the craziest thing you could do is get in a stranger's car. And suddenly now we live in a world where who's getting in cabs these days? Like It's just an absolute normal that, that you do rideshare and everybody knows that. And he took that kind of paradigm with us and we were tracking on the idea on how to communicate. First of all, that illuminated that the consumer app was not going to work. Maybe that would work in like 2040, but it's not going to work now. And so we need to figure out why, what was going on and, and why people were paying us and really understand that demand. And we still didn't know how to talk about it, but at least we knew like <laughs> somewhere in our, our heart a bit of what was going on. So that if we just kept talking, like somebody would pick something out of it and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I need. And I was like, what is it that you need? And they're like, I don't know what you just said, but we'll like, bring <laughs> us over to here, have talk to our IT person. So Lockhead got us into the ocean of what we were doing. And we were at least in the water now, but you know, he's a pretty heavy duty thinker and it's pretty tough to be a beginner under him. And he knows that, and he's working with big time executives. And so we didn't know how to articulate at that point. And we're trying to raise money. And you get, I went almost 150 pitches that were no's and you get, you feel pretty beat down sales. They just, people get excited because they hear the pitch and they think like there's something there that's new and interesting, but there's no grounding to earth in terms that they know already, no naming of a category. And so they just kind of float away into the ether and that's a painful existence. And that was a, a couple of years ago. Until I met these guys. You did tell me this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I was waiting for Dustin. Dustin, you look like you're about to say something. I mean, I think that is when we met you and you had articulated the problem you solved a little bit. I think you guys were calling it connected sports. And so it was still, so this is often the superpower we can bring to companies is the problem you solve is generally like a 10,000 feet higher than where you're focused initially. And it's much more powerful if you can get all the way to the top level of the problem. And so, yes, connected sports was a space they were in, but that wasn't actually the 10,000 foot problem they were solving. And so, and 
you know, we are all athletes who track ourselves. So we were super interested in just the connected sports category. Like, oh, that's cool. We all have tracking watches and devices and measure ourselves and, and injuries. Yeah. And, and injury. Well, when I found out you could predict injuries, I was real interested. <laughs> <laughs> Physically, but, not mentally. Yeah. <laughs> but the reality was none of that is actually the category. And so that was like in the first meeting with Adam was like, Oh, this is going to be interesting because <laughs> they built this whole, there was actually like category and you had named it. It just wasn't right. And so like, maybe you could tell us like, how did you, did you think it was right at, at that point? Or did you know it wasn't right? Cause it wasn't working. Cause you were getting told no 150 times from the VCs. I was, I think doing a fair job pretending that I thought it was right, but I definitely in, in my heart and soul did not think it was right. It was logical. I still think it's logical connected sports or connected health or however it makes sense. Those two words make sense to me, but let me put some context on there as well. Like this was when all those races were becoming virtual when the pandemic hit and you like going to your neighborhood 5k just wasn't happening. Everybody was doing virtual races. So this was an important and you guys were able to tap into that. Right. Right. Exactly. And so yeah, we had connected events, we had the whole nine yards. And the thing is, and I guess at that point, at the pandemic and the virtual stuff that connected did resonate in this little scratch of a way, but it didn't get rideshare type connection of for someone where they were like, heck yeah, I need to get from here to there. Sure, ride. And it didn't have that kind of a feel to it. It had like, it's still a pretty heavy duty sales, you know, force behind it that had to go through. And business and startup life is already so hard that when you add headwinds like that to it, it just is almost insurmountable. Um, Plus gave you guys a bunch of direct competitors. Direct competitors. Yep. And competing sucks. Like don't compete. And that's something that I (laughs) I was learning at, at other places like Driscoll's and stuff where it is such a different business. You think, oh, they sell strawberries. No, they they sell supply chain. <laughs> they sell cold fruit from Mexico to Canada. <laughs> like that, They happen to have strawberries through that. They don't compete on that thing. And so the lesson of try to find your spot with that white space, open area. And I truly believe that that isn't like a, a oh, most things are already thought of. Actually, in this process, I've, I've found that no, no, we have just barely scratched the surface on what is needed in this world and that competing on something is ridiculous because there is something immediately to your left and right that you just have to look for, which is hard, but you have to look for, but then you're not competing and to do it that way, find your, you know, the different thing. And so when we were looking at that, you guys walked us through like, what exactly do you do? And so we would say things, well, you know, got all this digital exhaust that's coming off of people from their phones and their wearables and everything else. And so we're able to put together like a passport or a a whole picture of a human. And we just kept kind of going down that path. And we're like, so then you connect that it's connected (laughs) to the company. So it must be connected. No, what we were doing is we were mapping out the lived experience of someone. And that is pretty powerful and also not done by anybody. And when you think about then you take the pieces of the chess pieces and put them on the board. And you think of the companies that are using this, they're trying to understand the lived experience of their footwear company, and they need to know what they're running consumers are doing. And so then if you take the 
they look at it from the virtuous cycle and they ask a consumer, hey, well, if you, you share with us your lived experience or what we call LX, we will be able to make better products for you, let you know when the appropriate products, when those are available or for your conditions. And, you know, oh, you're in a high UV environment. All right, well, here's like the best clothing to prevent sunburn or worse. And a consumer is like, yeah, I want you to know my lived experience. So there's a trust in sending that. And then on the, the, the brand side, holy smokes, what a better way to keep a super consumer and to really, you know, have that customer feel that like they're part of something they're being listened to. And it's like, where does this sound familiar? Oh, this is like any other relationship in life. It's just, we're digitizing a normal human to human relationship. And so once we started to think of it through what you guys came up with, with lived experience as the category, it was it's just impossible to unhear it or unsee it. And now when you say that to an investor or you say that to a company or you say that to some random person at the grocery store or something, they're like, yep, dang. Like, <laughs> now what do I do for the rest of my life? Like, because you just, I was talking with one of our customers, big time executive about this. And he was like, yeah, it's hard for me to understand it. <laughs> right. And this is the first conversation with him at a big event. And he's like, I explained live experience and how they are going to, better be able to connect with the raincoat customers and they and he's just like kind of floating away and it's there and like it's everything okay and he's like huh, I can't figure out how we've gotten customers to this point now now that you've said that I don't know how do you sell something without knowing their lived experience he's like I'm gonna have to go to my sales team I need to go <laughs> he's like I don't know how we did that and he's like his that doesn't make sense. Why would I buy anything if you didn't know my lived experience? Mm. It's like, I think we might be operating on luck. And he's like, that's crazy. And now he's just fixated on me. And that is the difference between finding your category and being able to, it's not sales then. It's not something crazy or even trying to pretend you're not doing sales. No, no. I just explain what lived experience is and how, if you know something more about each other, not just brand over consumer, but each other, that this is just a quicker, easier relationship to then have commerce and, you know, like somebody satisfied with their sunscreen because they know how much UV they're getting. And now the sunscreen company can actually sell it. To, it's like, oh, <laughs> that unlock is huge. And I will say that it's not all roses and butterflies, that it is much easier to, for us at this point to sell, so to speak, it's a selling to VCs with knowing the category than it is just every Tom, Dick and Sally out there and customers because VCs are general, this is how they make their money is looking forward into the future. And so they're trying to pick up on these things, whether they even know it or not. So many don't, but I have found that even those ones are really good at just hearing something and following that path. And maybe they don't, can't articulate why they followed it. But so going from horrible experience of fundraising to you know, very tough market coming up with a seed round of 2.5 million from absolutely outstanding firms and people in our orbit board members now that are like, holy smokes, I can't believe I can talk, I, I can talk to you often and you can help me with this. That came from being able to articulate and communicate a future and, and lived experience that they're like, that's going to be the future with or without these guys, that's going to be the future. And customers is a little bit harder because they are their pain points are more acute in the moment of like, I just got to get inventory out, man. Like, yeah, that's probably the future, but got a lot of inventory. And so that that's another 
thing that I'm learning right now is how to then apply a category to the pain point of the moment <laughs> so that you can help that customer out of that problem. And then they can see that, oh, actually, this is both an, a now thing and a future thing, which is important, but is a, a very different life than fundraising. We just completed a project with a healthcare provider, specifically physical therapy. And reading through the reports and the analysis and things like that, not only within PT, but within healthcare writ large, the analysts are all saying like, you know, the amount of data that's being generated now by patients due to, you know, the digitization of healthcare, which is slower than every other category, if you will, or market in the world. It's like, and they're all saying this is a huge opportunity for providers. And nobody has connected the dots yet. And we even were like, hold on, let us, like, we were really prescriptive in like, this is part of the problem you solve in that there's this data disconnect that's taking place and your patients are going to be generating even more data based on wearables and sensors and all this other stuff. And the category, our client hadn't actually seen it that clearly yet, but even the analysts within healthcare haven't seen it that clearly yet. They're still like poking around looking for like, somebody needs to figure this out. And it's like, talk about a signal. You know who has figured it out? <laughs> like the 13-year-old playing Roblox knows exactly what you're talking about and is like wants to grab executives by the lapels and be like, please just understand that this is the way the world works now. You need to get out of the past. And so, yeah, I hear you. It's amazing how people can get in their own way. That's just so, people Adam, are aware of the problem, but they don't have anybody. You're bringing them the solution, right? Yep. So on that thread... Because you have all these different personas. So we took the problem you solve to the highest level. So there's almost infinite industries or problems that you can apply LX data to solve. And can you talk about how that's posed the challenge? I think you started to talk about how you have to like frame it and name it for the different problems that people have because it it solves all these problems. But then if you want to go to the, the Mayo Clinic as an example, so their problem is much different than Brooks's problem they're trying to solve but they're using the same data. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. So there's two parts to it. One is, you know, we have, while we're much better off now with our seed round and we've got capital, it's not infinite. And so we're under constraints, which is good. I think that's a really good thing to have. So you can't just go for all things at all the time. And that's a really great feature of constraints is that you have to pick and choose. And what do you do? You pick and choose the one that has the most legs right now. And so for example, we find that outdoor sports is the easiest spot to get in. People already understand, like, you know, because of Strava and Map My Run and things like that, that how data can be really helpful. Now, a lot of them are training in some way, intentional about their training. And that helps grease the skids for us on a, they're, they're, they didn't know it, but they're inside of our category of lived experience. And so they nod their head and they say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. On the flip side, with something like, healthcare or other industries that yes, that lived experience is just as applicable. It's just so much of a harder sell right now that we're trying to get a little bit of momentum in one thing and be very specific. I feel like that's an important part of category design and to what Lockhead calls niche down because you want to learn a lot about your the thing that's making it work. And how do you know when it's working? Well, people give you dollars and because dollars are painful to give up. And if they're giving you that, then that means that they're trading you for value. And that is a great signal of that you're finding the pain point and you're addressing it. You're solving something for that person or that company. But I like 
they're all people. And then being able to really study what the heck happened there and then grow the Venn diagram of the category outward into other ways. I mean, I just can see everything needs to know the lived experience. Like your coffee table company eventually is going to be looking at data like this. And, you know, we joke around about like, try to think of one thing that isn't going to be digitized in the future and need to know how a user consumer is utilizing. It's like nothing, everything is going to be that way. And one of the tricks that I use in sales meetings when an executive or somebody is like, yeah, I don't know, like analog that, you know, I tell them that the liner in the sand right now is about if you're 33 years old and younger, you're a digital native and these people just get it immediately and 34 and older, it's a curve that dropped off and those are analog natives and they, okay. I'm like, so what do you think? How old will the lion be next year? And they look at me blank. I'm like, 34 years old, 34 is the lion. I'm like, what, what, was, what about the year after that? And they look blank at me. I'm like, oh my gosh, 35 years old, 33, 34, this is sequential. So, and then they go, oh, so you're saying that eventually it'll be 40, then 50, then then 80, then they're all dead. And I'm like, that's right. I, and then you have only digital natives. You should probably should get started. And that can apply to anyone, but we started with the scope of outdoor sports so that we didn't have to also, I mean, it's hard overcome, you know, we don't want to overcome all the other educational pieces of the digital and analog native paradigm. Good lesson. The niche down. Because you guys will transform healthcare. You will transform the metaverse. (laughs) Like the roadblocks use case with the Vans world is legit. Like that, that makes that game work. So I think we talk about a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think that we talk about a lot that just popped into my head as you were talking, Adam, is I love the phrase you used earlier. I've heard you use it before, but the digital exhaust component, this sort of data that we're all kind of throwing off as we move through our lives. And I think the, you know, my Apple watch for me personally is the clearest version of that, right? When I'm out for a run and I'm looking at, you know, the data that I learned from moving through my life in this way, to me, that's like the clearest, most literal specific example of this. But I think one of the things we talk about with category creation in general is trying to create the biggest bucket possible for you all to fill with what you're going to end up doing as Dash LX as like a business. Yeah. So I just, I wanted to, I guess, call attention to that, that I think y'all have created a beautiful big bucket for what you will grow into that still, still encapsulates the work that you started in and maybe potentially your, you know, your maybe primary use case, if you want to call it that right now, but that there are many, many use cases that are emerging isn't even probably the right word that have been emerging and have emerged over the years and are being addressed by your software. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At this point, I'm certain that there will be companies built on lived experience that we hadn't even thought of, you know, there'll be the category will create other categories and, and more value driven out of that. And that big bucket is really important because it, it allows you to see who your people are and who they aren't. And so you can quickly say, I'm not selling to this person because they're just clearly not our customer. And that's a really important part of it. And when you have a, you can then drill that all the way down to like, this isn't our customer right now, but this heart valve company certainly will be someday, but it's not, but all the way up to the top of that big bucket. When you start thinking of antiquated businesses, I, I think of something like Comcast or something. I'm like, sorry, that's just never going to be our customer. Just the way that they're built and the, what they do is just, they would have to 
completely reinvent themselves to then align with an LX type of a paradigm. So it's really nice to be able to look at the top end like that and think, this is what we do. This is how LX is going to drive the future and then start parsing away on who's in that right now and who's not is a very important thing. Yeah. One of the framings we've used that could be a filter for like, who is a direct potential stakeholder and maybe who's indirect, but you know, we talk about the sensors and the watches and, you know, the digital natives willingness to actually be okay with like sharing that stuff. Like it's the most personal and precise data available in anybody's profile. We're talking about like, I wrote about like, they're called vitals for a reason. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's some pretty heavy data that you're tapping into and sharing and being able to uh, personalization's a shit term kind of, but you want to talk about personalization, like it doesn't get more personal than that. Oh yeah. One little trick I, all right, it's not trick, but pathway I use to illuminate this with customers. And it was a great fundraising piece was anybody who has an iPhone and any of listeners can do this. If you go to your Apple health, most people say, oh, I've never set that up. doesn't matter. (laughs) It is already going. You did set it up because you're using your phone and you go to browse on the bottom right of Apple health. And then the one I like to show is mobility and people immediately look in and they see that there, here's their step length, their left, right leg imbalances and things. And they get panicked first because they're like, oh my gosh, this is so big brother. This is 1984. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, okay, first of all, that is locked on your phone. Now you know why Apple is so stringent now and why this is when Facebook is trying to flame Apple for all the, and like, this is why, because this is a lot of very, very personal information. And it is literally only on your phone. There is no cloud storage for this. And Apple, they saw what they were doing and they thought, well, geez, we can't, this is not good if we can deliver this to anyone and we need to have the consumer wanting to share their lived experience, just like if the consumer was going into the doctor's office and explaining their lived experience. So then when you have this kind of information on your phone, you're able to share it with anybody from physical therapist to your shoe company or something like that. And it's really powerful. And it's just this exhaust that is coming off of us all the time. It's pretty amazing. And then when you zoom out of the mobility side, you can just see there's like, what, a dozen categories of things there, like your cholesterol and, and everything. Like, wow, that is my whole lived experience. I see what that means. It's going to be a really good tool for human beings to be able to leverage that exhaust. I have final questions. We're coming up on time. Yeah. Can you are. talk to us about, because you rebranded the company and you incorporated the category into your name. Like that's all in. Have we had any customers do that? I don't, I think they're the first customer to no. name their company after the category. What's going on there? And what, how did that work out? Yeah. Well, first of all, Dash is a name that you really only describe among friends who get you. So now that I'm with you guys, all of your listeners, I'll consider my friends. We heard on a podcast that, well, the most important thing that people need to focus on is their Dash. What the heck is that? Well, on your headstone, you have two dates and a Dash, birth and death and a Dash. But like, let's focus on that Dash. And we thought that would be a really great company name. And so that just went on idle for a couple of years with and while we were trying to figure this stuff out. And so when we came up with, when you guys helped us come up with the lived experience, we were like, well, basically saying dash LX would be saying LX LX or dash dash. Like they are the same thing <laughs> twice, but people usually think, oh, dash like running or, you know, Swift or something like that. I'm like, sure, sure. That's what it is. But it was 
you know, very clear. And then on top of that, when we went and looked for the URL, it was $7, which is pretty amazing for dash lx.com. <laughs> and that's like a sign from the URL gods that you should probably name the company that. I feel like um, I remember being in the meeting and going to Google domains and being like, let's just see right? <laughs> real quick while we're talking about this. Let's just see. Yeah. And Dustin paused there and said, wait, everybody stop talking. Go buy that right now. <laughs> Go buy that right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I really should. <laughs> um, so it, it worked out. And so there's one pragmatic thing that I want everybody to know is do not name your company out of off of something that is purposefully misspelled. Like Power Lab was PWR. No one's going to be able to find you. And so that's like beginner lesson that was so painful. The other is that when you do name yourself out of the category, you get people just remember it. They then start using, they say it themselves mm-hmm. in our meetings. They're like, oh yeah, so here's how we want to put the LX data. And like, as if they've been talking about it for years. Mm-hmm. And so they were not easily forgotten. I think there's something to Adam to the Dash LX component of y'all. You know, I think you talked about earlier is how both from your perspective, as well as from investors and folks that you've talked to about this, there feels like an inevitable ubiquity to the concept of lived experience and LX data, particularly the older that generations get, et cetera. And so incorporating LX into your name now as the first business to do it as a way of putting your stamp on, hey, we came up with this thing. It is who we are. We're the first ones to make it who we are. And sure, y'all can talk about it and you and bring it into the things that you say later on, but we will always be the first business who started talking about lived experience and lived experience data. And we proved that by putting it in our damn name. So I think there's yeah. something cool about that as well as you really planted your flag on the moon a little bit there. So super Absolutely. fast. And I know we're on time. So what's next? Because you've had success. You kind of found the bucket that we talk about or the silo and you've named it and you're niching down. Like, so what does Dash LX look like in the next six months? What are you guys focused on? Yeah, absolutely. So another term that we are fixated on right now is the traction gap and traversing the traction gap, which is a great book for folks to read by Bruce Cleland. Very clear. And it's awesome to read something like that and see it map out in our history and then know like, well, here's where we are. And the traction gap is where we're at. It's between the initial product release and VP minimum viable product. And what a, a minimum viable product looks like is something that clearly addresses an immediate pain point and that you're getting some some repeatability and good market signal from you know, the thing you're making. And so right now we're focused on with our seed money and on building a team that delivers on something that customers are clearly desperate for and that they can't live without. And we're definitely squarely in that. It's really interesting to go interview customers and say, what if we just disappear? And we had one of them, she just looked at me and and straight in the the eyes and was like, is something wrong? Do I need to? I'm like, okay, good. We are slowly traversing the traction gap. She's like, well, I would get laid off if you didn't exist anymore. Cause like, this is the way our company runs now. And so we're Mm. building on that and making sure that the pain point, yes, revenue is one of the ways of addressing that proof that people are buying it, but we're also looking at a lot of data on how people are using our platform, how they think about it, what kind of acute pain points that we're going for them. And then in the beyond that, the future is a Series A, probably about 18 months or so. Once the economy is turning, I guess, after it goes through the dip and, and out the other side, whenever that is, luckily we are able, you now we're a company that can afford to make it through like without fundraising. 
through that. And then from there, it'll be scaling. So after the traction gap comes like, all right, you put $1 in, you get $5 out. So put a lot of dollars in. And so that's what we'll be focusing on. And we'll be expanding our category, our nicheness from outdoor sports into other pieces as we learn about them. But it'll be completely data-driven and understanding what people's pain points are. One thing on the traction gap, just because we'll get yelled at by Lockhead, it's not an MVP, it's an MVM, it's a minimum viable market. And that's what you guys are doing. You're going in and finding a market. Nobody wants a minimum viable product, but nobody wants to buy that. <laughs> so, no, and so actually a, in Traction Gap, point. they call it an MVM, a minimum viable market. And you guys are bringing them a great product in that minimum viable market, which is currently a specialty outdoor, which is where Mike and I grew up. <laughs> it's <laughs> close, close to our hearts to go see technology disrupt one of the older school yeah. industries out there. Again. <laughs> Again. Again. Kicking oh, yeah, and Mike, dragging, Mike dragging and, and kicking and screaming. That's right. We disrupted them by bringing them on the internet, and they didn't like. <laughs> they didn't like that, man. You want to talk about an industry not liking digital? They didn't want to sell their stuff on the internet. But yeah, yeah. Now, now they're gonna use their data to sell their stuff on the internet. <laughs> Speaking of digital natives, forcing forcing companies. Cusp. I'm on the cusp. I'm on the cusp. What do you classify yourself? What do you feel? Are you analog or native? I mean, it's weird. You know, I have a memory of getting out of basketball practice in middle school and everybody had to line up in the hallway to use the hallway phone to call your mom or dad to come get you after basketball practice. You're analog. I think if I remember (laughs) that, then that makes me probably technically an analog native, but I'm 35 and I had a cell phone by the age of like 14. And I don't really remember 14, 15, I guess. And I don't really remember like, I mean, obviously I remember before that, but like my life has been digital ever since in pretty, you know, pretty thorough yeah. ways, but we're we all have time digital, for my favorite. But... Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, do we have time Go for ahead. my favorite way of determining digital versus analog? Um, yeah, please. Lockhead taught me this one. He's like, in a sales call, ask them, this guy's just a straight genius, right? And he's like, and I'm a data scientist. I'm very logical and not a genius. So sometimes he throws me up. A lot of the time he throws me up. But he's like, in a sales call, this is what I want you to do. When you're right off the bat, I want you to ask, say your name, give a little blurb, and then ask them, all right, imagine you're going to somebody, a friend's house or something, and you're going to pull up to their house. Like, like, I'm saying this to this person that I'm trying to sell to. Okay. And they're like, you get to the front door, ask them what they do next. Mm. Like, he's like, if they say they ring the doorbell, say, thank you. Go with God. I'm out of here because you are definitely <laughs> an analog. He's like, because let me ask you this. And he's like, cause you there, Adam, what do you do? I was like, oh, I've text them. I'm there from the, you know, while I'm walking up the driveway. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I haven't pushed a doorbell in like eight, nine, 10 years. And he's like, that's right. Uh, People who push doorbells probably are analog and no one does that anymore. And I was like, all right, that's a good way. I've used it a couple of times. And it's funny how the person is like, never. They're like, yeah, no, that's crazy. I don't do doorbells anymore. And so it becomes a laughing point and a really great way, not a sale. 
Yeah, awesome. A favorite one I've seen going around is the people playing the modem sound from when like AOL used to get like, the <laughs> AOL discs or whatever. Playing Pop the modem serve. sound. Yeah, yeah. Play the sound that the modem made when it was getting onto the internet and play that for like Gen Zers and be like, do you know what this sound is? <laughs> if they know what that sound is, it's like, okay, you were, th- you were there before. If you don't, my, you don't. My 12 year old saw that on TikTok and she asked me, she's like, dad, what is this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. and you're like, well, there it is. A there full it is. digital native was like, dad, what is this? Cause it was going around. And Tell so her it's like, a sound the doorbell makes. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. Congrats again to Dash LX and the whole team. It's been a pleasure on all of our parts to be along for the ride and seeing y'all on your journey. So congrats and thanks. Oh man, thank you guys. And then the congrats is right right back to you that we made it this way because you were in the trenches with us and a huge part of us making it. So making it this far and certainly into the future. Cheers, man. It's been a pleasure. If you want to learn more about Dash LX, you can check them out at dashlx.com. Adam, thank you one more time. Mike Dustin, thank you both. This has been the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. If you want to learn more about us, you can go to drmg.co. That's drmg.co. If you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, if we got something right or wrong, if you have an episode idea, send us an email. It's hi at drmg.co. That's hi at drmg.co. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing the show with someone you think might enjoy it. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for having a great rest of your week. We appreciate y'all. See you next time.